Praise the Lord. Well, I'll invite you to turn your Bibles this evening to, to uh, John chapter 15. John chapter 15. Jesus is talking to his disciples the last night that he was here on the earth, just before he goes out and is betrayed by Judas into the hands of the Sanhedrin. Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 7, he said, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit. The results that you and I get in life matter to God. Herein is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. Now, <clears throat> this uh, principle would certainly apply to everything, bearing fruit in every area of our life. But the fact that he uses the word ask, which means to call for a require, he's talking about communication with God. He's talking about answered prayer. Jesus is giving us criteria. He's setting forth the qualifications for being able to get an answer to every prayer that you pray. Now, there's a couple of things that, uh, that we need to point out, and that is there are different kinds of prayer, and we see Jesus at prayer in uh, several places in the New Testament, in the Gospels, the poor Gospels. And he didn't always pray the same way... That, in every case, you may remember that um, in the Garden of Gethsemane, which is just going to be a few hours after he spoke these words to his disciples, he said, Father, all things are possible with you. And if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. If he had just stopped there, that would have been the end of his purpose here on the earth. He wouldn't have been beaten in Pilate's court. He wouldn't have had to suffer crucifixion on the cross. But he added something to that prayer that saved us all. He said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Now, let's look at the, um, well, let me, let me go a little bit further with that. We see another case in John chapter 11 where Jesus shows up to Lazarus' tomb. By that time, Lazarus has been dead for four days, and, and one of his sisters, at least, is concerned when he commands them to roll away the stone. But Jesus said some things that were very important. Standing outside of Lazarus' tomb, he knew what was going on. He had already explained to his disciples that in the time that they delayed, the four days after they heard that he was sick, in those four days, he knew Lazarus had died somewhere along the way. He explained that to his disciples. He used another word and they didn't understand, so he said it plainly, Lazarus died. So when Jesus gets there, Jesus tells him to roll away the stone and then says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I thank you that you have heard me. That tells us something about Jesus' prayer life, and I think it tells us something about what our prayer life was supposed to be. If we're joint heirs with Christ, if we're one with him, and God would answer Jesus' prayers quicker than he would yours or mine, then we're not equal. We're not joint heirs. But Jesus went on to say, he said, I thank you, Father, that you, that you have heard me. He's talking about the situation with Lazarus when he calls him forth. But then he says this, and he said, and you hear me always. I know you hear me always. But for the sake of those that are standing by, I said it. Now think about that, folks. If Jesus is telling us the truth in John chapter 15 about getting answers to prayer, about God hearing you just like he hears Jesus or heard Jesus when he prayed, if we'd live up to that, if we'd meet these criteria, satisfy these qualifications, 
we'd have an unstoppable prayer life. I don't know about you, but I'd like that. So Jesus said, if you abide in me, he gives us the qualifications. He said, if you abide in me, the word abide means to, uh, to dwell, but more specifically, it means to stay. Continue. He's literally saying, if you continue in me and my words continue in you. One translation says, if you continue to live in me and my word continues to live in you, then you'll ask what you will and it shall be done for you. He's talking about the word living on in us. Now, let's think for a minute uh, about some things that we know. We know that just being a Christian does not automatically give you success in prayer or make you a successful prayer, does it? So these qualifications must go further than just being born again. If every born-again Christian got answers to every prayer that they prayed, just because they were a Christian, I would imagine this world would be in a mess. That means bigger mess than it's in now. Because a lot of our prayers are selfish prayers. And there have been times where we would have changed things or gotten results in prayer that wouldn't have been in our best interest or in the best interest of the people we might be praying for. So what does it mean? If you abide in me and my words abide in you, You shall ask what you will and it shall be done for you. There are some kind of prayers, some types or kinds of prayers that aren't asking God for anything. The Bible talks about thanksgiving, the prayer of thanksgiving. Another place Jesus used the words in the Garden of Gethsemane, if it be your will, as we referred to a minute ago. And a lot of people take that and and think that's a pattern for prayer. And so they attach... That phrase, if it be thy will, to every prayer that they pray. And that guarantees you that you won't get results when you're trying to change things. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. Faith begins where the will of God is known, in other words. If we don't know what God's will is, then we have no basis for faith. And the operation that Jesus is talking about here in John chapter 15 is the prayer of faith. Now compare what he said here in John chapter 15. Before you go, notice verse 8 again. It says, herein is my Father glorified. How many of you want to glorify God? Jesus said one way, one major way you do that is by getting your prayers answered. By having a successful prayer life. God wants you to have a successful prayer life. Now in most of the studies I've seen that have been done in the the last uh, or most recent years, when they poll Christians about do they believe in prayer. Overwhelmingly, Christians from every denomination, every background, every whatever, say, yeah, I believe in prayer. But when they ask the next question or one of the questions further on down the survey, have you ever had an answer to prayer? The percentages go down to less than 10%. So 85 to 90% of people believe in prayer, but only 10% or less are getting any answers. Now, why that doesn't spur somebody on to find out what they're doing wrong or how to improve the situation, I don't know. But if I'm doing something wrong in prayer, I want to know it because I want results. Don't you? Well, Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, he's talking about living on in him. I don't think that just means if you stay saved. 
I think it has a lot to do with walking in fellowship with God. I think it has a lot to do with living according to the word, walking in love and such. But I would submit to you folks that the qualification for us to focus on is not abiding in him. If you're sincere in your love for Jesus, sincere in your desire for his will to be done in your life, that's living on in him. But the other one where he says, and my word abides in you, I think that's the place where the modern-day church is missing it. Now, as I said, look with me to Mark chapter 11. Here's the incident with the fig tree. Jesus answering said unto them, uh, the disciples noticed the fig tree was dried up from the roots where it was cursed the day before. Jesus answered and said unto them, beginning in verse 22, have faith in God. Verse 23, for verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Obviously, Jesus is talking about getting results here on the earth. Why in the world would he talk about moving a mountain, casting a mountain into the sea, if he wasn't talking about the kind of prayer or the operation of faith that he'll describe as a prayer in the next verse, verse 24? Why in the world would he use that as an example for what you can get, the answers you can get, the results you can get in prayer. He's talking about changing temporal things. He's talking about changing things in this physical realm or natural realm. He's saying, here's how you get results. He had just done it with the fig tree by cursing the fig tree. No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And the disciples see the results, and now he's telling them how they can get the same results too. Verse 24, he goes on to talk about... uh, the operation of faith in prayer, or we might call that the prayer of faith, as James refers to it in James chapter 5, verse 15. Jesus said, therefore I say unto you. In other words, because there's a power, there's a force, there's a divine power made available to you to change things in this natural realm. Therefore, because of that, Therefore, I say unto you, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Now, notice that prayer doesn't apply for you, apply to you praying for the other guy. I think a lot of times we wish that it did. But unless they're in agreement with us, then there is no prayer of faith. There is no contact. There is no result that we can get apart from somebody else's will. So Jesus is talking primarily about you changing things in your own life by prayer. Notice again what he said in verse 24. Therefore I say unto you what things soever you desire. That sounds like a pretty open field. What things soever you desire. Whatever you desire. When you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Believe that you receive them and you shall have them. He goes on in verse 25 and says, and when you stand praying, forgive. If you have aught or anything against anybody, that your heavenly Father may forgive you your trespasses. Because if you don't forgive others, then God won't forgive you. Now, folks, I would submit to you that that's still under the old covenant. That was a requirement under the old covenant. We know that because Paul wrote to the Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4, about verse 30 and 32, somewhere around there. He said, forgiving one another as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. See, the means and the method for forgiveness is different now than it was when Jesus was here on the earth. 
Back then, where it's more of an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, you get what you give type of situation with the old covenant. It was a requirement to forgive others so that God would forgive you. That's not a requirement anymore. God's already forgiven you. But the forgiving power of God is used as an example for how we should forgive others. Forgiving one another even as God has forgiven you. Well, how did God forgive us? Did he wait till we deserved it? Did he even wait till we asked for it? No, he sent Jesus to die for the sins of the world. Jesus provided forgiveness, satisfied the claims of justice against mankind before we ever heard the gospel preached. And that's the way that the Bible says to forgive under the new covenant. Now, I don't, uh, I'm not saying that that's... Um, I'm not saying that the word abiding in you does not include walking in love and walking, forgive, walking in forgiveness. What I'm saying is there's a different basis for that forgiveness now than there was when Jesus was here. The basis for us forgiving others is because of what great things we've been forgiven of ourselves. So we certainly could identify that as walking in love. And you can't walk in love unless you're walking in the word. Now, these events are very closely associated with one another. Mark chapter 11, the verses that Jesus spoke about faith and the incident with the fig tree happened about four days before John chapter 15. It was early in the last week that Jesus was here on the earth that this happened. He's already gone to Jerusalem, been welcomed in the city by what we know of as Palm Sunday or the example for what we have as Palm Sunday. The people have rejoiced over him, crying Hosanna and put stuff in the way, signifying that they believed he was a great person, sent from God. Now, four days later, Jesus is at the Last Supper with his disciples in John chapter 15, and he tells them, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done for you of my Father which is in heaven. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. And so shall you be my disciples. Now, is Jesus talking about something else? Is he talking about something different than he was talked about in Mark chapter 11? Well, there's no way to conclude that he could be. He's talking about changing things in this natural realm. He's talking about getting answers and connecting with God to bring the power of God to bear on whatever situation you encounter. He's not talking about different things. He's just saying the same thing in different ways. Therefore, we could conclude that at least a part of the word of God abiding in us would be to meet the criteria that he identifies in Mark eleven twenty four, and shall not doubt in his heart. And shall not doubt in his heart. Therefore, I say unto you, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. He's got to be talking about abiding in the word as being the operation, at least in part, the operation of believing that you receive when you pray. Believing you receive when you pray. You know, that's one of the hardest parts of this thing. And it's, it's interesting to me that the Bible talks about the mystery of the gospel. Why does the Bible refer to that? And it does in several different places. Why does the Bible talk about the mystery of the gospel? Because there are unknown parts of it to the casual observer. Mystery is identified in Scripture 
as that which belongs to us but must be revealed. And that's part of the work of the Holy Ghost. He'll show you things. Jesus said he'll take the things of mine and show them to you. Whatever's mine, Jesus said, he'll show them unto you. Well, part of what was Jesus is a successful prayer life. Couldn't we expect the Holy Ghost to show that to us too? Couldn't we expect the Holy Ghost to reveal to us the elements or the steps or the characteristics of that which makes available God's power to change things in this realm and in this life? When Jesus says in John chapter 15, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. He's got to be talking about changing things by the power of God, doesn't he? He's talking to, got to be talking about you and I receiving something from God. Well, a part of that mystery that the Holy Ghost reveals to us, and thank God he has revealed it so we know, a part of that, that mystery is how to overcome doubt. A part of what is revealed is shown to us so that we can walk in victory over the influence of the devil. So that we'll have a response when the devil comes and whispers in our ear or influences us, presses upon us in some way or another to say that the word of God is not true and your prayers aren't going to get answered. James said it this way in James chapter 1. He said, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God which giveth to all men and uh, liberally and upbraideth not. But then he goes on to tell him how to ask. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. Let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. Well, that would have to be attached to these, this subject here, wouldn't it? See, when Jesus told them, the disciples, both in John chapter 15 and Mark chapter 11, he didn't give them the whole picture. He just told them what was available. He told them in Mark eleven twenty three, if you have a situation even as extreme or severe as needing to move a mountain out of the way, faith will do that. But he didn't teach him a sermon on faith. He didn't stop and tell them everything about faith. He gave them enough to, for them to pursue it and to find out what they needed to know if they so desired. And that's part of the mystery of the gospel. The mystery of the gospel is that the, the simple truth, what we know of because we have pursued God, because we have made the word of God a priority in our lives, The simple truth of how to change things through prayer isn't fully revealed in any one particular place. We understand by comparing different scriptures and different events and what Jesus said and what others were inspired by the Holy Ghost to say, we get a complete picture by the things that the Holy Ghost has revealed to us. But you can't just pick up John chapter 15 and verse 7 and say, okay, here's the ticket. This is all I'll ever need to know. Nor can you take Mark chapter 11 and say, okay, well, here's what Jesus said about faith, so that's it. I've got it all. You're going to have to compare other things to to those scriptures too. So the most critical thing that Jesus mentioned in Mark chapter 11, in verse 23, when he talks about faith working by the spoken word, he says you'll have to learn not to doubt in your heart. You'll have to learn how not to doubt in your heart. The simplest definition I can give you for doubting in what doubting in the heart means is to speak contrary to the word. See, Jesus talked about some people that have talked the word one time and talked the circumstances the next time. He said that man shouldn't expect to receive anything from God. James called that being double-minded. 
So one of the key elements that Jesus told us in Mark chapter 11, verse 23, is not to doubt in our hearts. Set a watch on our lips. Guard our tongue from speaking anything against God's word. In verse 24, where he talks about faith in prayer, being operated, faith operating through prayer to the Father in Jesus' name. He told us the key element in that. And that is when you pray, you've got to believe that you receive it. Not believe you're going to receive it sometime down the road, but believe it's yours now. Now, how can we believe anything is ours now if we can't see it? Isn't that asking too much of us? Well, the only way you can have confidence or believe that you receive what you're asking for when you pray is to have a knowledge of God's word on the subject, is to have scriptural evidence or scriptural foundation for what you're asking for. Turn with me over to 1 John chapter 5. John said it this way. And I see a lot of Jesus' prayer life described here in these verses that John writes. Uh, let's start in verse 13. 1 John five thirteen. These things have I written unto you, unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. So whatever John is writing to them about is part of this thing called eternal life. So what he's writing to them about and what he will describe in just the next few verses can't be in line with the church idea. The idea that most people seem to have is that when we get to heaven, we'll have eternal life. He talks about what you have now. And he says, I'm writing to you so that you will know what you have now. Well, why does he want us to know what we have, if not to take advantage of it? These things I, write, I have written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God. So there's got to be Christians. He's writing to believers. That you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. Well, now you just said that they did believe on the name of the Son of God. And now he's saying, I'm trying to tell you these things so you'll know what you have so that you'll believe on the name of the Son of God. He's got to be talking about growth. He's got to be talking about the operation of the life of God that's within us. Next verse, he says, and this is the confidence that we have in him. Well, how do you gain confidence in him? By accepting the word of God to be true. That's the only means or basis for confidence that we have is God's word. We don't have confidence in Jesus because we see him. We don't have confidence from uh, about Jesus or confidence in him because we hear voices shout from the sky and tell us what to do. The only basis or means of confidence is the word of God. This is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Now compare that to John fifteen seven. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done for you. Here's the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Here again, some of the church will say, well, that's why we need to pray and say at the end of every prayer, if it be your will. But there's a big difference in those two things. To pray any prayer and say any prayer other than the prayer of consecration and dedication, which Jesus did by saying, nevertheless, nevertheless, not my will be yours. Jesus is just surrendering to the plan of God, even though it's getting extremely difficult. And he can see the, 
devastation to him, to his body and to his spirit is in the next few days. But any prayer prayed with the faith-destroying phrase, if it be your will, ensures that you won't get an answer. Because faith begins where the will of God is known. You can't pray the prayer of faith by saying, if it be your will. You just can't do it. If it be your will means that you don't know what his will is. And John just said, here's the confidence we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, then we know he hears us. Well, if you don't know it's the will of God, you can't have confidence that God hears you. Jesus had this kind of confidence, though, because that's very much like what he said at Lazarus' tomb. I thank you, Father, that you hear me always. I thank you, Father, that you hear me always. Well, how can we pray the perfect will of God in every situation? By taking the word of God to prayer with us. Remember, Jesus said in John 15, 7, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, if my words, the word of God, continues in you, if you keep yourself and stay in the word of God, then whatever you will, whatever you ask, will be granted to you. John said, this is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Notice verse 15, he says, and if we know, that word if is the word since, and since we know that he hears us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. Now compare that to Mark eleven twenty four. Jesus said, Therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Jesus is saying the prayer of faith, prayed with the foundation of the word, which is the only way you can pray the prayer of faith. A lot of people think they're praying the, praying, praying the prayer of faith, but they don't have any scriptural foundation. They don't have the word of God as a foundation for their prayer. So it's just a wasted effort. But Jesus said, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. In other words, John says it this way, if we know that we're praying his will, we know he hears us. How can we believe that we receive what we ask for or what we're praying for at the time, at the moment of our prayer? Well, there's only one way you can have that confidence, and that is to know that he hears the word being prayed back to him. God always hears his word. He said in the old covenant, Isaiah tells us that God said, no word shall return unto me void, meaning void of power. No word of mine shall return unto me void of power. How do we make the power of God to work? Pray the word. Pray the word. That's the only way we can have confidence that God hears us. And notice he said, John said, and if he hears you, that's all it takes is just getting his ear. If he hears you, then we know that we have the petitions that we desire to. We know what we ha- we know we have what we ask for. This is the confidence that we have in him that if he if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if or since we know that he hears us, when we pray the word, he hears us every time. Whatsoever we ask. We know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. We know. We know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. We know that we've got an answer to prayer before we even say amen. 
That's what Jesus is talking about in John 15. That's what Jesus is talking about in Mark chapter 11, verse 24. Believe that you receive them. Believe that God hears and answers your prayer because you're praying the word. Well, Pastor Mike, I just don't know what the word says about my situation. Well, if I were you, I'd put a lot of effort into finding out. Oh, come on, just tell me. A lot of us want to do, want somebody else to do the work for us. But that's not the way it works. Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 22 talks about after you put the word first place and give attention to it and incline your ear to it. It says, my words are life unto those that find them and health to all their flesh. There's a discovery aspect to the word of God. There's a searching out that God expects us to do. Doesn't have anything to do with how long we've been saved. Doesn't have anything to do with what position we may hold in the church. It has everything to do with a willingness on the part of the individual to find the truth of the word for themselves. Jesus said, ask and you shall, it shall be given. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. He's talking about persevering. He's talking about pressing in to, get, to understand something, to gain knowledge. He's talking about doing everything that's necessary to, to make the word a part of your life, to discover it so that you know that you know that you know that you know that you know. And that's how the prayer of faith is supposed to work. The prayer of faith is supposed to work in the manner that we pray God's word back to him. We found what the word says about our situation. We pray the word of God back to him. Which triggers ultimate confidence. We've prayed the word so we've got to be praying his will. So we know that we have the petitions that we desire of him. Then we have to find out some other characteristics because what do you do then? Okay, Lord, we believe we receive. Now what? Well, one of the characteristics that Romans chapter 4, talking about Abraham's faith, one of the characteristics the Apostle Paul brings out is that Abraham was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Giving glory to God. He was strong in faith, giving glory to God. In other words, Abraham, who the Bible sets out as an example for us, the father of our faith, Abraham turned his petitions into praise. Abraham turned his petitions into praise. Now again, there's not any one place in the scripture that gives you all the characteristics side by side so they can use it so that you could you or I could use it as a checklist. That's not the way it works. But it's only when we turn our petitions into praise Genuine praise, not a sacrifice of praise. Sacrifice of praise is when we say, Lord, we're doing this because we know we're supposed to. James, uh, John is talking about something different. Jesus is talking about something different. He's talking about a relationship with God through the word so that you can have confidence. You can know. That doesn't mean you won't have feelings. doesn't mean you won't have thoughts of doubt come against your mind. The devil will always attack you no matter where you are. But it means you have confidence in God's word to such a degree that no matter what it looks like or what the devil's telling you is going to happen, you know that you know that you know that you know. When I was working with uh, Brother Hagen, I had an opportunity to see him close up dealing with people one-on-one. -on -one. He dealt with people individually a lot different than he did in crusades. You can understand why. In a crusade, there's a big crowd of people, and he has a limited amount of time to try to get to everybody. And so he prayed differently for people in 
uh, in healing lines than what I saw him pray for people individually. And there were a couple of situations, not many, but there were a couple of times where he was talking with somebody. I'm sure you've heard him tell, or perhaps you've heard him tell some of the stories about trying to talk to people and show them what the word said about their situation. He'd say things like, now I'm actually identified that they were Christians. He'd say things like, now I'm not saying that it did say this, but if we could find in the Bible where it said Jesus took your infirmities and bore your sicknesses, would that be a basis for you to believe that God wants you well? Well, I saw him do that on a couple of occasions with people. And he tried to get them to the place where they had confidence in what the word said and not just knowledge. That was one thing that Jesus was an expert at when he was here on the earth. See, it's one thing to know the word or, or read the word about what belongs to you and say, yeah, mentally assent and say, yeah, okay, I, I know that's true. Uh, it has to be true because God said it, and so, yeah, I know that's true. There's a big difference in that and somebody having confidence that what the Bible says is literally for them. And when you can get somebody to get to that place of confidence, they praise God differently. They praise God differently. It's not a sacrifice of praise. It's not, well, Lord, I know I'm supposed to praise you because Paul and Silas prayed at midnight and sang praises unto God, and Pastor Mike taught us that that's what we're supposed to do. That's good. And if that's where we are, then let's, let's just develop from there. But when you find somebody that has confidence, when you can find somebody that will accept on a level, a much deeper level than just mental knowledge, but accept the truth of the word as being the reality, that's when you get instant results. Now, I'm not saying that works in every case. I'm not saying that that's the whole of the, the, the puzzle. I'm just saying through my experience, that's what I witnessed. One of the reasons Brother Hagin told the stories that he did over and over and over and over and over is because the type of ministry that the Lord gave him, he was going to be ministering to a crowd of people all at once. And so he had to inspire faith in them. And that's really what I'm talking about, coming to that place of confidence. I think it would do us well to examine the confidence that we have in the Lord. Do we have confidence in God's word just because we know it's God's word, so therefore it has to be true? Or do we have confidence that what the Bible says belongs to us is really written for us? And it brings results, miraculous results, any and every time. I've made mention of this here lately several times when we've been looking at what Paul said about uh, the persecution that he was under and the fact that he prayed to the Lord. It really caught my attention some months back. And I've known it was there. I've read it hundreds of times, maybe thousands of times. But where Paul said, for this thing I besought the Lord three times. Three times. Well, folks, I'd be hard-pressed to find many people that don't pray about something at least three times and in most cases many many more than that but I think Paul's telling us something about his prayer life he said I'm prayed three times about this thing that was a significant number for him it sounds like he's used to getting, a, getting an answer and getting results the first time 
But he says, for this thing, I besought the Lord three times, thrice, three times. And he said, my grace is sufficient for you. Now, I personally don't know if that means God answered in the same way all three times or if it took the third time for him finally to get an answer. I'm not sure. If he prayed about it the second time after hearing that my grace is sufficient for you, then he must be trying to pray to change it. He must be trying to pray to get a different result. But by the third time, perhaps, he comes to the realization, wait a minute, that is my answer. I keep looking for a different one. I keep looking to change it. But that is my answer. We certainly see that his experience changed. Because he said, most gladly, therefore, will I glory in my infirmities. In other words, he's taken a different point or different position concerning his weaknesses. He's not trying to overcome his weaknesses anymore. He glories in them. He says, Father, I thank you. He says something to the effect, Father, I thank you for my weakness in this situation concerning persecution, that the power of Christ may dwell upon me, may rest upon me. He hadn't been doing that up to that point. He's been thinking that there's something wrong, something he needs an answer from God about. And so then he prays three times concerning that situation. But after he finally understands the answer that's been given, he changes the way that he's operating. When we come to the place where we see our weaknesses, Paul's example is to glory in it, not try to hide it. Not try to cover it up. Thank you, Father, for my weakness in this area, that the power of Christ may dwell upon me. That your power will come upon me. Now, of course, we'd want the power to, overcome, to come upon us to overcome the circumstance of the situation, whatever our area, our area of weakness is, which is what Paul did. He's not taking some point of defeat. He's not saying, well, I guess I'll just never overcome in this area. He's saying, now I know how to. Before I've been trying to be strong. He's the one that wrote the scripture to the Ephesians in chapter 6, verse 10. He said, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Well, apparently Paul wasn't doing that much concerning the persecution that he was under until he got his answer from God. My grace is sufficient for you. So Paul tells us the change that he made, the adjustment he made. He says, therefore, I will gladly rejoice and glorify God in my weakness. So that the power of Christ may rest upon me. The implication is unless until he came to a place where he realized this is something I don't have power or strength to do anything about, then the power of God didn't make itself available for him to use. But he solved the mystery. One of the things the Holy Ghost is said to do, Jesus said, the Holy Ghost will guide you into all truth. Other translations say guide you into reality. He'll guide you into the reality of what belongs to you. He'll guide you into the reality of how to take hold of what belongs to you. He'll guide you into all truth. He'll guide you into all truth. That seemed to be what Paul's doing in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 where he tells us a story. How he approached the persecutions and how he came out afterwards. I'm sure he'd been doing it just like you and I would do, and that is to stand strong and to confess we're strong in that area. But when Paul finally prays those three times about the persecution, he says, Lord, I don't have the strength to do this. Take it from me. And Jesus says, no, you've got this backwards. 
you can rest assured, rest confidently that the areas where you are weak, if you'll glorify me for my strength, then the power of Christ will rest upon you every time. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified. God is glorified when your prayers get answered. God's glorified when you pray his word to bring about his desired results in your life. Whether it be healing, whether it be prosperity, whether it be provision, whether it be ministry, direction, whatever it is. God is glorified when you get answers to your prayers. And then Jesus goes so far as to say, and this is how people will know you're my disciples. Our prayer life should be such that the world can look at us and say, wow. If Jesus meant what he said. It should be said of us. By people that are acquainted with us. That there's something about those folks. Things just work out right for them every time. And when it looks like it's not going right. They're just as happy as when it is going right. And then it turns into going right. This is the confidence that we have in him. If we ask anything according to his will. Do you realize that every prayer. Every scripture that you pray back to the father. Every scripture that you claim. And take hold of by faith. Every one of those. Is heard and answered by God. Every one of them. Now we may not always see the instant results. We may not always see the answer to our prayer. In a day or a week or whatever the case might be. But every scripture. That you use as a foundation for your prayer. To take hold of what the Bible says is yours. Every one of those is heard and answered by God. I'll go so far as to say. The whole of the word of God. Is given to us for one and only one purpose. That is so that we can know the father. And the father can reveal to us. That which belongs to us. When we use that word in prayer. We plug into the power of God to bring that result, that answer, that blessing to bear in our lives. We're supposed to change this physical realm by the promises that God has made to each and every one of us. When Jesus talked about casting the mountain into the sea, speaking to it and casting it into the sea, I don't think he's really trying to tell us that we can rearrange the topography of the earth. Who cares about that? He's talking about something that would seem as impossible as a mountain moving. will be heard and answered every time. No matter how big it looks to us. No matter how overmatched we seem to be. No matter how weak we seem or feel. When we glory in our infirmities, that means we're not letting the power of Christ take over and bring about his results. This is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Anything according to his will, he hears us. That means the most outlandish scripture you can find is yours.
That means the biggest blessing you can find in the scripture is yours. I think we ought to start developing our confidence in prayer. I think we ought to start developing our confidence in God hearing and answering his word. I think we ought to change or make a change to our prayer lives to make room for this kind of confidence that John's talking about. Same thing Jesus said in John 15. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, whatsoever you will, whatsoever you desire. And it shall be done unto you by my Father which dwells in heaven. I think too often we treat prayer like a hit or miss situation. Let's throw as many prayers up to heaven as we can, hoping that one will stick. That's not what a prayer life is supposed to be. Our prayer life is supposed to be something along the lines of, Father, I've searched out your word and I've found the promise that belongs to me. So you said in your word, whatever the scripture says, and then take hold of it by faith. I receive it now by faith. And I thank you for the confidence that I can now have because you've heard and answered my prayer. That's what believing you receive when you praise looks like. I think too many times we say, or somebody will say, well, I believe. And then under the breath they're saying, I hope this is what believing is. But the act of faith is taking the word back to God itself. The act of faith is not just praying. The act of faith is to take God's word back to him, to put him in remembrance, just like he said. Put him in remembrance of what he said. Because the reason he said it was so that he could help you. That's the whole reason that the scripture is given to us. So that God can fulfill the promises that the Bible identifies are ours. This is the confidence that we have in him. This is the confidence. We need to start praising God because he's heard us. Not just because we're supposed to. We need to start praising God because we accept and realize the fact, the truth, the reality. That because we stood upon the word, God has heard us. And there's nothing the devil can do when we start operating in that kind of confidence. There's nothing the devil can do to gum up the works. Not a thing in the world. Abraham got, this, got to this place without God having to tell him what to do. Abraham realized that the will of God was being expressed when God told him he'd have a child. When he was way past the age of childbearing, he and Sarah both. But when he came to the realization, through meditation in the words, it's got to be the only, re, only way that he could have. When he came to the realization that this is a promise that God said he was fulfilled and God can't lie. Then he turned his petitions into praise for the answer. Father, we love you. We magnify your holy name. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this wonderful principle of faith. Whereby we can believe what your word says. Not because we see it in our lives yet. Not because it's manifested in our circumstances, 
but because your word is true. Lord, you made this earth. You made this whole physical realm. It is a small thing for you that it might be changed by our prayer of faith. It is a small thing that you could do the impossible or would do the impossible in response to your word being brought back to you. It is a small thing for you to bring about miraculous results in our lives because your word says so. It is a small thing for you to change our bodies, to drive out sickness and disease, to drive out every trace of every symptom of sickness and disease, to cause our bodies to function perfectly in the manner in which they were created to function. That's a small thing. Because your word says that Jesus took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses, and with his stripes we're healed. Oh, Father, we worship you. We magnify you. It's so good to be healed. It's so good to be healed. It's so good to be healed. We're not healed because we feel like it or look like it, Lord. We're healed because Jesus took our infirmities. He bore our sicknesses. And with his stripes, we were healed. We worship you, Father. We magnify you. And this is the confidence that we have in you. Because your word says Jesus paid the price. We count it done. This is the confidence that we have in you, Father. We prayed your word. So you've heard us. And we know that since you've heard us, we have what we petitioned you for. We have the healing. We have the financial help. We have the direction, the answers that we need. We bless you, Lord. We bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. Father, we're honored to glorify you by standing upon your word and watching this physical realm change to come in line with what your word says. We magnify you, Father. We worship you. We glorify you and that wonderful name of Jesus. That wonderful name of Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Every word you spoke, Father, is true. Every word shall come to pass. Every word in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Say this after me. I am confident that when I pray God's word, he hears me. And because I know he hears me, I know I have the answers that I seek from him. Thank you, Father, for honoring your word. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Bless you, Lord Jesus.
Bless you, Lord Jesus. Well, what should we do now? I believe I receive. How about you? Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Believe in me, saith the Lord. Believe in me and in my word. For heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word will never fail. Hold fast the profession of your faith and rejoice. Yea, rejoice in the mighty name of Jesus. Because the, the price has been paid. The victory has been won. And I watch over my word to perform it. Thank you, Lord. We bless you. We magnify your name. We do worship you, Father. We glorify you for your goodness and your mercy. Hallelujah. Not one word of God's promise will fail. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. Thank you for being with us.